Hello and welcome to Kolot. This is your host, Rabbi Hillel Kappenstein, director of the Columbus Community Kolel. And it's a great honor and privilege to bring to you our next episode entitled From Trauma to Triumph. We will be featuring my very own aunt, Jill Kappenstein, licensed professional clinical counselor, I believe, LPCC, if I got that right. And uh, we this is going to be a fascinating episode on trauma, on a very interesting therapy that's gained a lot of attention called SE, Somatic Experience. I think you guys are going to find this fascinating. Um, and uh, we're going to be having a follow-up to this down the road as, as well. So stay tuned for learning how to turn trauma to triumph. These are going to be some great episodes. And uh, thank you for all those who have been tuning in to our past ones with, let's say it was Robert H. Schottenstein of M.I. Holmes or Nissen Black uh, or Drs. David and Miriam Portman as they discuss their journey in researching breast cancer uh, treatment, which, you know, they're they're nearing the end of their trials. This uh, They could be changing the the world as a pertains to treating breast cancer. So thank you for everyone who's been listening and sharing such great feedback. Uh, we always appreciate that. If you could always subscribe and leave a review and share with your friends, it's always very much appreciated as well. I'd like to thank our media sponsor, Columbus Jewish News, who uh, we partnered with a little while ago, and we're very excited to have this uh, relationship with them as well. So without any further ado, allow me to tell you about our guest. Jill Kappenstein is a licensed professional clinical counselor who received her undergraduate degree in psychology and sociology from Emory University in Atlanta, Georgia. Her master's in community counseling was at Georgia State specializing in geriatrics. During the last five years, Jill has completed her training in somatic experience under Gina Ross in Los Angeles. This three-year training has provided her with the tools to help in the healing of trauma and has been successful with working in the field of addictions. Jill Kappenstein, or Angel Kappenstein, welcome to Colot. Thank you so much. Very nice to be here. Thank you. And I wanted to ask you if you could first, uh, by the way, for all of our listeners, we uh, both uh, Jill and I signed full disclosures, non-disclosures that we will not roast each other. We will not have any jokes about each other, especially the nicknames I was called as a child and sometimes still called by some people. But um, we're going to have a very what we call talkless, a very uh, substantive conversation about SE, which is somatic experience. So can you tell us a little bit about your background, your education, and what is SE? So I'm going to start with a third question, the somatic experiencing. Um, it's a modality. It's one modality of many that's used to heal trauma. I kind of consider it an organic method. It's a little bit more wholesome. It's using the body and integrating the body and the mind. <clears throat> so you know, that's always been somewhat discussed with controversy, the mind-body relationship, uh, most notably, and uh, a lot of people, um, you know, 
swear by him and some people um, really knock him. And I'm referring to Dr. John Sarno, who um, was very famous for uh, mind over matter, back pain, um, associating uh, herniated disc issues with emotional stress. Um, from your experience, how do you see the mind-body relationship and how does it, how does it come about? It's a great question. Thank you for, for bringing that up. Um, first of all, if anyone comes to me with pain, we're not typically dealing with pain. We're dealing with sensations that happen in the body. If it happens to be a leftover pain that's been treated by every physician and every um, other modality, and they come to us and they say, you know, the doctors have all said this must have an emotional component. Can you help me? Then I'll help them with pain. Otherwise, we're looking at sensations. We're looking at things like my stomach growls, and that tells me I'm hungry. So there's a lot of sensations that are going on. There's like a symphony happening inside of our body. So if we pay attention to it, it'll talk to us. Just like, I guess one of the coolest examples I used when I was working with a particular addict, and he was telling me, he was relaying a story about someone who betrayed him. And all of a sudden, in the middle of his talk, he got this really sharp pain in his shoulder blade. And he was like, ow. And it was like, he said, I feel like I've just been stabbed in my back. And this was like related to the betrayal. So it was like a really good example of how the body will talk to us when we're dealing or talking about some kind of an emotional thing that has happened to us. Okay. So let's, let's get a couple things straight and then we're going to dive in on a deeper level define trauma so there are little t traumas all the way to big t traumas right so i'm very into continuums and for everyone's experience it's different the same trauma that could have completely traumatized one person the person next to him could be like i missed it wasn't really a big deal to me really so everyone just experiences the world in a different way and everyone's nervous system is is wired uniquely for them I think the most important thing when it comes to the John Sarno is a lot of people think that, oh, this means I'm psychosomatic. And that always, to me, had a negative connotation. Um, If someone is psychosomatic, it means they made it up that the pain doesn't really exist. And the pain is there. And we're saying the pain's there. The discomfort's there. This weird feeling is there. Let's pay attention to it. Let's track it. Let's notice it. Let's see if it gets worse. Now, if it gets worse and we continue to notice that it finally resolves and discharges, amazing. If it persists and gets worse, then you need to go back to the doctor. So we're never in place of the medical doctor. We work in conjunction with the doctor. Okay. So, you know, you mentioned before someone having that, like, you know, growling sensation. So um, on one hand, you know, we believe that Hashem created our bodies with signals that are good for us you know if something hurts that means maybe pay attention that's why when you don't have you know part of the you know going back to the pandemic you know when people are asymptomatic and spreading it before they were you know the vaccines and everything it was very hard because the normal gift that hashem gives us of having symptoms did not exist generally speaking we do get to have that we are privileged as uncomfortable as it may be to have pains and to have these things so how do you know when it's just I'm hungry versus something else going on. It's a very different feeling. It's kind of like when someone has a baby and you say, how am I going to know the different cries? You learn, you know, the different cry for someone who's in pain versus someone who's just uncomfortable, someone who's really tired. 
So basically, I believe that all human beings are are born with the same language. All human beings in every country and every part of the world um, are born with this language of sensations, of feeling. So we try to teach these children how to how to talk so that we can understand what's going on in their brain. But it's more important for us to follow our gut and learn to pay attention and listen to what's going on in our body. So a growl in the stomach is, is very different, at least in our day where there's thank God, plenty of food around. There's not enough emotional support going around the world right now, but there's plenty of food. Um, So we don't know, thank God, that severe hunger pain. But typically, if if our stomach is growling, that's a good sign. That means we're not overeating and we're listening to our body and now it's time to eat. So um, as far as another discomfort, um, I'll tell you, there was a, a man that gave me a story. I don't know if you have time for a 60 second story. Of course. So he came to our house, he was collecting for a yeshiva in Eretz Yisrael, and we needed a suitcase delivered to, to Eretz Yisrael for my son who was going skiing. And I had no idea how I was going to get how he's going to get the suitcase there. But this man called and I was like, oh, this guy is the nicest guy in the world. He came over and I said, Oh, my gosh, you got so thin. What happened? He said, Let me tell you a story. So he starts telling me that he was at a show and he was collecting in, in New York. And he got this sensation that went from his elbow down to his wrist. And he said it was the strangest sensation he'd ever felt. It was not painful. It wasn't at all anything really discomforting, but he knew it was very odd. It was a strange sensation. So he happened to mention something to the person who brought him to the minion. And it happens to be that this very famous cardiologist was right behind him. When he finished davening, he took his pulse. He realized he was in the midst of having a massive heart attack. And thank God they got him to the hospital immediately in time before he died. And this was like two years later. And he was telling me the story. And as he was telling me the story, he was shaking his legs, like, you know, like as if he were running the entire time he was telling me the story. And when he told me the story, it took him a solid hour to tell me every detail of the story. But I can tell you just by listening, he was doing somatic experiencing. His body was reliving the whole drama of the event. And his body was then discharging through the running in his legs because when they strapped him to the table to, to, do the surgery and everything he had really wanted to leave because obviously, you know, none of us want to have to have surgery, but if we have to, it saves our life. Right. So this was amazing. It was a dramatic instance of this man listened to the sensation. He knew it was odd. He was in touch with himself and it saved him. A lot of us feel sensations all day long. And I'm not saying we have to pay attention to every sensation that happens, but if it's a really strange sensation, I think we need to make sure that we're really integrated and we keep our head and our body, you know, really closely connected and listen to those. Wow. That's, that's quite some story. Uh, let me ask you about the sensation that some people, uh, some folks feel um, in their right pocket on Shabbos when their cell phone's not in their pocket, but they feel a phantom buzz. Yeah. So what's that all about? Right. So that's basically the brain. Great question. I love this question. You know, I love using somatic experiencing with cognitive behavioral therapy because our brain is wired in such a way that we're expecting, like we're used to getting that buzz and we're like, oh, that brings me connection. And all of us are looking for connection and whether it's screen time connection or or personal connection face-to-face, you know, we're looking for connection. So that connection is made between your head and your body that you're expecting this buzz that happens all week long. And then when it doesn't happen, your brain can kind of be like, where's that? Where is that? 
So that's a, a really exaggerated form. Um, I think it happens to more your generation than mine. <laughs> but, <laughs> because we... But the, the, the reason why I think it's so telling is because now that I think I've had that once or twice before, I hope that's okay if I say publicly, but, um, and I realized later thinking back that, yeah, I was bored at the time. Like whatever was in front of me was not interesting. Now, now that I think about it, is that because there's a void and sometimes our body needs to fill the void with sensations? Is that what's going on? I mean, it could be. It just really depends on your brain, the neuropathways in your brain. If they've created this, I got bored. When I get bored, I'm looking to like connect with someone on my phone. I'm looking for an escape. Most people are numbing out today. So there's a continuum of people being numb and frozen versus all the way over to the other extreme of I feel everything. I feel all of these sensations. They make me nervous. I don't know what to do. So if the pathway is connected to those feelings inside their gut or their belly or their chest pounding, you know, if those feelings are connected to neuropathways in the brain of, I need to run, I'm uncomfortable, whatever, they'll jump over to the other side. And that's what happens with addictions. You know, they just want to turn all those sensations off and numb them out and quiet them because I just want to feel calm. Okay, so let's – you mentioned addiction. Let's go to that for a second. So, I mean, where's my coffee? Oh, whoops, I threw it out already. I'm addicted to coffee. I, I, I Full disclosure, right? Okay, now I'm, now the insides are coming out. Yeah, I've had sensations in my phone – from lack of phone, and I'm addicted to coffee. Yeah, those are the two things I'll share with everyone. Okay, but Hillel, when you say – Rabbi Kappenstein, when you say – Hillel's fine. <clears throat> thank you. Um, I'm addicted to coffee. Is there – are you feeling any sensation in your body now as you say that? Ah. Uh, so absolutely not. But if I go a day without coffee, I feel it upstairs. So, uh -huh. so you feel a little bit foggy, foggy or headache. Yeah. Uh -huh. so what's it. that? Okay. Well, I mean, that is your, your brain needing the caffeine, mm -hmm. but just the idea for some people of, oh my gosh, I might have to go a day. Like maybe it's Yom Kippur or Tisha B'Av and I have to go a day without my coffee they might start to get like a little strange sensation in their solar plex They're, you know, somewhere in between, maybe even their heart would pounding, like I'm getting anxious, even thinking about it. But it doesn't sound like you're connected with that. Okay, but you mentioned the heart beating. And you also mentioned CBT. Now I want to connect CBT and SE if there's some sort of connection, because a lot of a lot of uh, research has indicated that to the contrary, like, um, if someone's starting to feel those sensations, exposing them to those triggers, you know, this is most common in OCD, obsessive compulsive disorder, exposing them, someone who has this obsession with, with, uh, uh, you know, cleanliness and, and hand washing. Yep. Put your hands in mud, let that sensation go and get comfortable with it. Right. Exposing, exposing, exposing. Um, how does that, is that at all related to somatic experience? Because here you're actually trying to increase the experience and then not let it bother you. Right. So exposure therapy has been proven for many years to work. You do a little tiny bit at a time. So what I think and, and what I, I think is generally accepted is that people develop OCD and those kind of coping mechanisms as a way of dealing with anxiety. So if someone has a lot of anxiety, they're going to try to create order in their life, right? I'm worried about this. So I'm going to set this up in advance. I'm going to do this. I'm going to do this. And if I do this, this, and this behavior, then maybe that won't happen, right? So that's where the compulsive, the compulsive disorders come in, is they're trying to deal with the anxiety. In somatic experiencing, we say, let's just deal with the anxiety. What's bothering you? 
And where do you feel it? And let's go to that place and then see what happens. See, we're not staying in the body or staying in the mind. We're having this pendulation between the mind and the body. Some people start in the brain and they come to me and they tell all kinds of stories for hours. And I'm like, I just try to slow them down and say, okay, now as you say that, you know, because oftentimes it's very traumatic things they're telling me. As you say that, do you notice anything that you're feeling in your body? And if they do, then we deal with that. And then we go back up to the brain. We just keep pendulating back and forth from the brain to the body so that we're creating this integration. That makes sense. We're not staying in the body and we're not staying in the brain. What causes anxiety is when we're in our brain and we're going round and round and round and we we like need to ground the brain and say, pause button. Let me go into Gina Ross. You mentioned she was the person who trained me. So she calls our body the washing machine. Uh So she said, we need to push the pause button on the washing machine on the brain and use your body, go in your body and clean some of those thoughts. Take one thought at a time. I'm scared about this. Okay. Go in your body and see if you notice anything, pay attention to it and let your body wash it out. Does that make sense? Okay. But that's kind of the opposite approach, isn't it? Like Essie is saying, focus on the body to try to see if you could, you know, uh, flush it out, wash it out, like, you know, the washing machine uh, reference. Um, CBT uh, exposing is kind of the opposite. Let's, let's, let's ignore it, but keep pounding it in, right? I mean, don't they seem sort of, you know, at odds? So I'm not a specialist in CBT. I, I try to use it and I've watched it be used in the addiction world. And without somatic experiencing, I watched the men that I work with relapse over and over and over. Mm-hmm. And it was kind of like their method. It's this change, you know, this, these developmental stages of change. And the last one is repeat, you know, so it's almost like teaching them, like, no matter what, you can never heal. You're just going to go to that last stage and you're most likely going to relapse. Craziness. Mm-hmm. SE says, no, 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 no. Of course we have to change the, the neurons. We have to change what you're thinking. But what we want to teach you is how to feel safe in your body and how to trust your body. So when these sensations come in, instead of having to numb them and thinking, oh, my gosh, I have to find my dealer right away and get this drug, you know, instead, it's like, oh, wait a minute, I have to listen to my body. It's telling me something, but I think it's it's nervous. Let me deal with what's bothering me. Let me go in and try to feel safe. And honestly, When I work with the addiction population, it's so successful time and time again. The first year I worked in my addiction treatment center, my my, um, director was very big into CBT. Only CBT don't use any of that body, you know what stuff with my guys. And I'm like, okay, whatever. And then Corona hit and all bets were off. I was like, I got to use everything in my, you know, every tool I have. And I started using it and like, miraculously, like it sounds so hokey, but these guys took to it so quickly because they are on that opposite end of the spectrum where they are feeling everything and they need to numb. So they're constantly going back and forth from one extreme to the other. And what somatic experiencing does is it teach them, it teaches them how to live in the balance. It teaches them how to live in the middle of that continuum of being integrated. And when their brain is saying one thing or their body is saying one thing, I know I have this tool and I can balance myself. I can learn to pendulate back and forth. I can learn to accept this feeling. I had a young man. He was like 20, 21 years old. He was going for walks during Corona um, at the treatment center. They would let them go out and go for walks. And he kept climbing trees and he was scraping up his hands and 
he was screaming and he was yelling and, and he was really disturbing the other patients in the rehab center. So of course they called me and they're like, could you please have a session with him? Like in one session, but honestly, in three sessions, I taught him how to feel safe in his body. He said he had never, since he was a little child, never felt safe. He never knew he was constantly in and out of the emergency room for different things. He was sure he was having a heart attack. He was sure his stomach was like, he was sure his entire body was broken. And after a few sessions, I taught him this and he was like, wow, you mean I can trust my body? I never knew I could trust my body. Mm-hmm. So when someone learns how to feel safe in their body and trust their body, it's, it's not, you know, I, I was listening because I knew you were going to ask me the history of somatic experiencing. So I listened to a couple of YouTubes of Peter Levine, which anyone is free to do. He, he started this in the 1970s with a particular patient that was very, very anxious that he could see that a lot of things were shut down in her and her pupils and everything was over it. And he, he did a certain thing that just like came to him and it was by accident and it worked. Um, so, you know, the healing process from what he found is built in each and every one of us. You know, we were created with this healing mechanism inside of us. And he used the example of when someone gets a broken bone. So, okay, so it's, it's fractured and you have to go to the doctor. And what the doctor does is he puts a cast on your arm and six weeks later, it wasn't the doctor who made the bone grow back together. It was the cast. So the doctor facilitated the healing process by putting on the cast on the arm. And funny enough, but they showed that the, the, the cells actually healed and the arm is now stronger than it was before it was broken. Right. So it's really incredible that we have this healing mechanism, not just physically, but we also have this mechanism inside of us to heal emotionally. So it's really beautiful. We have it. So as a therapist, I don't consider myself a magician. I'm not an amazing therapist. I'm using a modality that facilitates a healing process, but the healing happens automatically within the person when they allow it to happen. So if they're super motivated, like an addict who's burned down their life in in literally minutes, um, they are really desperate. They really want to heal and they listen to me and they do it. And it's amazing. If a person comes in and their trauma is not as big and it's like, listen, my, my son's wetting his bed or this is happening. This is happening. We do it. We do it slowly. It can usually happen in a couple of sessions and I can show them how to do it. And, and we're, we're good to go. Okay, so I'm jotting down a few things that I want to make sure I cover. The first thing is um, let's go in stages because you just mentioned the addict, which is like you know someone who's hitting basically rock bottom. So let's build our way up. Let's start with someone who's having a hard time dieting. I don't know. Let's say me. But let's say anyone who's having a hard time dieting and you know you just finished Pesach and now you got Shavuos and then you get Rosh Hashanah. It's like there's no such thing as all starting by the next Yom Tov, right? So you got to start today. We all know that. Not tomorrow. Not Sunday morning. Oh, no, Sunday's like, you know, bagel day. So Monday morning, right? It doesn't work that way. So the, the, so what happens is, and I've gone through this myself, where like, you know, you put on a really good day of healthy eating and you're like, yeah, I should have lost like 15 pounds today. That was a really good day. Like, you know, I, the, the carbs were limited. The proteins were high. The fats were, you know, what they should be and the fruits and vegetables and exercise, right? And like, you feel like, you know, two days later, yeah, I should be 20 pounds by now. 
the third day, you start getting those, hmm, what's in the cabinet, what's on the top shelf, where is this, where that, and, and you, you start to feel, like, real, it's legit, like, craving, sensations, so with your experience, what would your recommendation to be, we're starting, like, low level, like, this is probably something that a lot of people have, probably everyone in one point or time in their life, so what would the SE, uh, you know, mindset approach be in, I guess we'll say level one in this case? Um, If I had figured this out, believe me, I'd be 10 pounds (laughs) less for sure. The Hagim are are hard. I'm suffering right along with you. Um, And you don't have my genetics, obviously. Um, But I think in this case, this is where CBT and SE work the, the best, you know, in conjunction with each other. You know, we have to say, yeah, it's hard. It's really hard. We, we go in and out of these Chagim and we try really hard, but we have to change the neuropathways in our brain to, I can do this. No matter what comes along, I can do this. I can trust my body to tell me when I'm hungry. And if I'm not hungry, I need to do something else that'll make me feel calm. Because the opposite of feeling anxious or upset or whatever we're, we're feeling that gets us activated and gets our body going, the opposite of just knowing what our goal is. Our goal. A, we want to lose 10 pounds, right? Our goal is we want to feel calm. We want to be thinking calm. We want to know other resources that make us feel calm besides the food so that we're not looking for the cabinet. We're looking for that other, you know, it might be a squishy ball. It might be exercising. It might be, you know, listening to music that we enjoy. But having a list of resources that we know will keep us calm instead of reaching for that thing that we think is going to ground us. Mm-hmm. Okay, good. Um, yeah, you know, like substituting it with something more substantial sounds like. Okay, now let's well, go healthier. To, right, healthier. Let's go to level level two because, I mean, you know, I, I remember I was once listening to a talk, um, someone, a parenting talk about how parents who have, um, you know, children who, you know, with ADHD and, and you know, we're talking about, you know, real cases, not like, you know, the, the cop-out cases, real cases and, how parents are so reticent um, when they shouldn't be, when it's inappropriate um, about medication. And I remember that this was Dr. Lieberman would say, so how much, uh, how much uh, soda does your kid drink and uh, how much candy, right? And they would tell him, it's like, ah, so do you know, by the way, the amount of sugar and the amount of caffeine that they're taking in um, is probably a lot more, uh, you know, stimulating than whatever this drug is. So you're ready. Number one, your kids are ready on drugs. And number two, what, this could, you know, by eliminating that, you might not even need it. And number three, even if you do, this will help them um, be more successful. So my point is, is that addiction could really run a very, very um, wide spectrum. You have like people that say that I'm addicted to sugar and then you have addicted to caffeine. Then they're addicted to um, some sort of stimulant outside caffeine, whether that's, uh, you know, whatever type of stimulant that is. Then you have the, you know, the more intense stuff. So let's go from sugar to caffeine for right now someone who's addicted to coffee or soda or whatever it is, and they don't have that, let's say they need, for whatever reason, they need to get off caffeine. They need to. Their body cannot take it for whatever reason it is. Um, And then they wake up that morning and they got that stuff going on. Um, It's not fake. It's real. So in that case, what would the recommendation from someone with SE experience be? Well, I mean, you happen to pick an example that I I had to go through. I was addicted to caffeine and I was getting headaches that were building and building. And friends of ours, um, uh, the husband is 
a physician. He wrote a book on chronic pain and he has a whole chapter in there on headaches and how it's so important that if you get headaches, that it's probably from the caffeine. And we all have this misnomer of like, if we take Excedrin or something with caffeine in it, it'll make the headache go away. Well, for sure it will, because you're just work, you're just feeding the addiction, right? But if you want to get rid of the headaches altogether and not get rebound headaches and just keep chasing this spiral, then you have to just, some people, caffeine is amazing for them. They love it. They live on it. It's just, you know, they think better on it. It's great. Other people get chronic headaches and it's really poison for them. So you have to know yourself. And for me, I was able to use somatic experiencing on myself, you know, just saying like, I have to remind myself all the day. I love the way it tastes. I love the way it smells. And every once in a while I slip up and I'll have like half a cup and I'll suffer the next day because I'll get a headache. And I'm like, okay, that was silly, but I don't, I don't beat myself up. I practice self-compassion, which is a big part of learning new cognitions is I don't have to be critical. I can be curious. And one of the things that I work with all my clients who tend to be self-deprecating, if they're very critical, say, let's give that C a break. Let's go to curious. Oh, I had that cup of coffee. I only had a half a cup. Like, I must have been really stressed. You know what? Tomorrow, I know I'm going to get off of this. I know I'm going to be kinder to myself, and I'm not going to do that again. Mm -hmm. And that's what we have to do is just shift over that mindset of being curious and not critical. Okay, and let's go to level three opioids, or you know, some some of the more intense. Um, that was a big uh, switch to yeah. three. Um, right, two levels two to three is where is where the uh, the fun starts. Um, there, a person from my very limited understanding, um, their body will actually like contract. There will be like real, you know, relapse is serious stuff, um, and you can't, you know, one who's unfortunately in that situation can't stop cold turkey. Um, whatever the drug or the name is, I won't try to pronounce any of them because they're above my pay grade. I'm not saying much, but they're, they're very hard, these long names and, you know, whatever, you know, their generics and whatever they are. But when that level is, has been reached, um, you can't just say, oh, you know, I would imagine, correct me if I'm wrong, you can't just say, oh, just, you know, do the regular, th- there you have some real uh, physiological consequences. So how right. do you blend that when someone needs to go through that treatment? Right. So the men that I work with have gone through detox in a hospital. They've had to be mm-hmm. monitored medically and kept safe from, re- you know, being driven to like desperation of wanting to, to deal with the, the suffering that they're going through. So they usually detox for five to seven days. And or, you know, three, five, seven, depending on how much they've been on. Um, and then they come to us, they still have, um, you know, some, it takes them a good another week or so before they're not really experiencing major, major cravings. And then some will experience cravings for months. Um, so it really just depends on the person. But what they do is as soon as I... I would say that 90% of the people that come in, I'm not talking about the 70 year olds who've been alcoholics for 50 years. I'm talking about like these opioids, these, these medications where they're, you know, a lot of the men that I've worked with have been narcon, meaning, you know, they've literally passed on to the other side several times and been brought back to life. So they're really destroying their bodies. So when you think about that, you know, they're trying to kill themselves, you know, actively, and they know what they're doing. But they're so desperate to stop those sensations that are occurring that they, 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 they're willing to kill themselves. Now, that type of person 
the trauma field is usually their body. So typically their trauma has, has happened to them and their body. Many of these people have been molested. Many of these people have been violated on some major level. So because of that, they feel like their body is already damaged and not worthy of saving. So that's why they're willing to pummel themselves to death to begin with. So once you deal with the trauma, and there's Dr. Gabor Mate is a, is a doctor in Seattle. He's originally from Hungary, I think as a one-year-old was in the Holocaust. Um, he says that all addiction is from trauma and that you have to heal the trauma. And I would agree with him that, you know, if you don't deal with the trauma, you're never going to get rid of the addiction. So Bill, who wrote the big book, it was a really good start and it's used a lot. We have to do the underlining trauma, just like with OCD. If you don't attack and and heal the anxiety, it's going to be real hard to put away those coping mechanisms. Like, you know, um, a few months ago, uh, a few weeks ago, we did a, uh, we did a gig, which I told you about with Ohio state coach Ryan day. And, um, and he talked about what he tells his teammates, uh, not teammates, his players on his team. Um, you know, you guys just remember it, your physical health and mental health are very much alike. If you got something, if you sprain your ankle, you do something, it's minor, you could do it. You could take care of it rel- relatively easily. If you don't take care of it, it gets worse and worse and worse. And eventually you might need to do some, you know, serious, uh, you know, recovery, uh, uh, you know, exercises to, to eventually get back and who knows what it'll be like that. And same thing with our mental health, um, childhood. Okay. This is probably, well, wait, I don't want you to leave that thought. What, when we sprain our ankle, we can't do the, the game. We're going right. to be sad right now. We don't have to become depressed, but our mental and physical health are interlinked. You can't, you can't separate them. If someone gets a boo-boo, they're going to be upset. Yeah. That's just the way. And if someone's sad, it's also going to hurt. I mean, the same Dr. Gabor Mate is, is saying like all disease is from this hurt that we don't deal with. And he's mm-hmm. treating people with stage four cancer mm-hmm. and healing them because he goes in using psychedelics and all kinds of different things and he heals the trauma and he's having these incredible recoveries because he's healing the trauma. So I don't believe that you could separate the two. You know, you have to you have to fix both and know that when I tell the guys I work with that they have a healing mechanism inside their body, they're like, you mean my body's actually good for something? Like, look at that. You know, like we can we can learn to enjoy our body. We can learn to listen to it and have our brain and our body work together. Absolutely. And we're we're actually going to be doing an episode, as I mentioned earlier, on uh, on you know abuse molestation how that has the short term and very very consequential long term effects on people and we're going to cover that it's so it's so telling um i want to go to our final uh well somewhat final uh topic and that is childhood um a lot of the trauma that we have are were you know was quote unquote baked into the cake um, a very long time ago, you know, a few months ago, we had Rabbi Y.Y. Jacobson on and uh, <laughs> we, we need to do a take, too, because I had a list of 10 questions for him. And about an hour and 20 minutes in, I realized, oh, my gosh, I only got through five of them. So, you know, we ha- we're going to have we're going to bring him back on um, a, a great friend and mentor and a Rebbe, I guess I should say also. Um, but he said something that I forever will will, will be quoting and repeating. And that is when he sees people fighting. 
and whether it's rabbis, unfortunately, leaders or, or, or politicians or whoever it is, he feels like he wants to just tell them, it's not you, it's your traumas that are fighting. There's something that's triggering. So, and we all get into some sort of, you know, conflicts. That's part of life. And our traumas are probably playing somewhat of a role in that. So for the simple folks, we're not, you know, not the, you know, we're not talking about the people on opioids or, or caffeine addicts or, or that could be everyone too. But um, the people that had something in their childhood and their traumas are coming up, what is the uh, simple things? Of course, this is not a, uh, you know, a, a therapy session for people just listen to. Oh, let me go do this. But what are the things that they should start getting familiar with so they could be more in touch and live more, you know, free and peaceful lives? Right. I guess to know first and foremost that we're going for calm, we're going for clarity. And there's a lot of confusion out there. You know, here we are living in a country, I'm not getting political, but it's very difficult sometimes to get baby formula. Okay. People like we can't get baby formula for our for our young children, right? But there's absolutely no stopping all the opioids that are constantly the fentanyl that's laced with who knows what, the Adderall that's like it's coming into our country, no problem, no supply chain issue there, okay? So we're living in times where it's a little nutty. So we have to know that our job is to check in with our body, like how's our brain? A good thing for everyone to know is like, when your head hits the pillow, do you like go out instantly or your mind, is your mind racing? Is it like, what do I need to do? What's carpool? What's lunches? What's dinner? What's this laundry? That uh, Who knows, Right. So we need to be able to stop those racing thoughts and say, okay, I'm going to notice my body like lying here in the bed. Am I comfortable? You know, I work with people a lot. They can just be stressed and you could just look at them and know where they're holding their stress. They could be like this, or they could be feeling stuck and their foot's like sitting like this. Your body will constantly be talking to you. And I think the, the average person, all of us need to just like slow down and notice, like, is there a part of my body that's tense? If it is, let me pay attention to it. Let me just see what happens. There's all kind of breathing exercises that we do. There's all kind of integration things that we do in order to keep our brain and our body, you know, working and integrated. Wow. It, it, you know, in short, there's a, seems like there's this common thing, just be in touch with oneself, you know, seek the, you know, you know, there's the phrase when it comes to relationships, uh, Oh, hey, Shalom, Varodi, Shalom, seek peace, pursue peace. So I think the relationship with oneself, they have to seek MS, they have to seek the truth. And the truth, if it's, you know, one's being intellectually honest, I think will play a big role in them finding whatever it is that will be the solution for them. But it sounds like my my, my takeaway from this is that SE is a, tool, is, is a major tool in the toolbox. And there are different therapies that work for different people. And what's I think... Um, what, what I'm gathering is from um, Dr. Peter, what's his name again? Dr. Peter Levine, yeah. Dr. Peter Levine, what what he, I think, brought is a therapy that could be very effective for people and that have not been able to uh, find success in other therapies. And we're adding a very important uh, therapy to the toolbox. And for some, it will work. For others, it won't. Just like in medicine, there are certain people that will respond to certain antibiotics or other medications differently. And this is one of those important uh, therapies in the toolbox. I'm not sure if, if you agree with my with my uh, summing this up. That's kind of how I see it. How, how, do you, how would you say you see it? Yeah. I mean, listen, there are people that are so frozen that they can't, they can't let me in their body. So it could take a year before I could do SE with them. Mm -hmm. I'll keep trying, but if they don't let me in and they're like, I don't feel anything. Okay. Well, wait, 
you know, depending on the urgency of the situation that someone's in. Um, but I'll tell you, that's the main thing is if we're not connected to ourselves, we can't effectively and in a healthy way connect with other people. Mm-hmm. So you see these people that are like over and over and over going for like the unhealthy relationships or they're creating turmoil all over the place. And they'll come to me and they'll be like, my boss, I'm having this problem. I'm having this problem. It's the same problem. They're not connecting effectively because they're not integrated with themselves. So if we can show them this and we can get them balancing out in themselves pretty quickly with what is my, what are my thought processes and where, where is that happening? Do I feel uncomfortable? How can I feel safe? How can I trust my body? How can I rewire my brain so I can do this? You know, I teach anxious children how to swim. So I usually get kids and they've taught me so much when I work with them. You know, they're sure their parents have told them for seven straight years, if you go near the pool, you're going to drown, right? And then they bring them to me and say, teach them how to swim. So I have all of these cognitions that are like, I can't do this. If I even go near this pool, I'm going to drown. So I have to convince them, no, your mom is sitting over there. I'm not going to let you drown. You're going to learn how to swim, but you're not going to just learn how to swim, but you're going to love it. You're going to enjoy it. And the water's gentle. And I'm sorry they told you you were going to drown. You're going to be fine. So, you know, it's changing all of those neuro pathways, reinforcing you're okay and you're safe. But I've watched these little kids one after the other. And I tell them, I say, say, I can do it. I can do it. I can do it. I can do it. Mm -hmm. And they do. And then they swim. (laughs) So I'm showing them at the same time, we're changing these neuro pathways. I'm safe. And look at me. Look what I'm doing. I'm swimming. And it's beautiful. Literally in two sessions, I have these kids swimming and it's, it's really beautiful. Incredible. Incredible. Yeah. Love that. Yeah. So for yeah. all ages and stages, it sounds like it could be yes. very helpful. This was it can great. work. It can work with anyone. The person just has to be willing. They have to be willing to swallow the, the antibiotic for its work. Typically. Correct. <laughs> you right. know? Getting the prescription, dropping off the pharmacy is only. It's a, it's a big process. Yeah. Right. Big process. right. People need to want to get help and then actually get help. Absolutely. Right. And, and I think they need to know that they can heal, but healing is possible. Mm hmm. Absolutely. No, this was, this was fascinating stuff. When I first heard of SC, as you may remember, I was like, what is this? But it's interesting because, um, you learn how, um, I won't say how complicated because that has a negative connotation, but how sophisticated human beings are. And it's so fascinating and how this could play a role and be, I'm sure for many life-changing and life-saving. So this is a, a fascinating episode. Um, this really does conclude um, our Parsha's trauma. Maybe we'll say uh, uh, first take. Uh, we're hopefully going to have more on this ish, on this topic. Um, Angel, this was awesome. Thank you. I hope we do this. Thank again. you for bringing this attention to to the world. Whoever hears this, I hope it will help them. Amazing, awesome. Thank you so much. And we want to thank all of our listeners for tuning in. It's exciting, the numbers that we're seeing. My algorithm is telling me we have listeners in over six countries around the world and dozens of states in the United States. And um, thank God um, we're bringing Colo, the voices, the many voices that we need to have in our life, teaching us new things, more things, and how we could help ourselves and others live a better life, connect to Hashem, live a life of Torah, mitzvahs. And part of that is to be healthy. Part of that is to be safe. Um, you know, I'll, I'll, I'll end with this. Um, some people say in the name of Tzadok, some people say in the name of the Baal Shem Tov, but, um, depression is not an Avera, it's not considered one of the 613 
thou shall, you know, thou shall or shall not do, or neither is to be happy. Um, if you were to look in the in the calendar, whether it's the Sefer HaChinuch who counts six, the you know the Taryag mitzvahs, it's not mentioned there the mitzvah to be besemcha um, or the mitzvah to not be beatzvus in depression, but. Simcha will allow a person to fulfill 613 mitzvot the most and the best possible way, and depression will hold them back from fulfilling the mitzvot, you know, in a very in a very significant way as well. So this is very important, and we want to thank you again for joining us and sharing your background, your experience with our listeners. Thank you. To listen to all Kolot episodes and see upcoming guests, visit kolopodcast.com. We are also on all podcast players. Type in Kolot on iTunes, Spotify, Google, Stitcher, Podbean, and Amazon. Share with your friends and please make sure to give us a five-star review. Kolot is a project of the Columbus Community Kolel, a full-time Jewish learning center in Bexley, staffed with high-caliber Torah scholars. Ever since 1995, boys, girls, men, and women from all backgrounds and affiliations have found many opportunities to connect with Torah and mitzvot at the Kolel. Whether it's a study partner, engaging lesson, or a program, the Kolel is your one-stop shop for all your Jewish learning. If you want to know how you can benefit from the Kolel, visit thekolel.org. That is T-H-E-K-O-L-L-E-L dot org and forever be inspired.